Welcome back to the Antioch Baptist Church Podcast. We're so happy to have you here again. Today, Pastor Dave continues his sermon series through Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Stay tuned afterward for ways to connect with Antioch Baptist Church. So important for every Christian, the relationship that we have with God. That's how we receive spiritual gifts. It's through prayer. It's through the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. If you are saved, you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as as your Lord and your Savior, then you are a child of, of God. And your Heavenly Father gives good gifts, just like any good parent gives good gifts to their children. And the Holy Spirit has given gifts to the church. And that's what we're talking about, picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Do you desire the fire? Part two. It's like part eight of the Order in the Church series. This is going to conclude that series, and we're going to move on to chapter 15 next week. And yes, thank you, Gloria Newton, for the hand biscuits. Thank you, Bruce, for remembering to thank her. They were so delicious, and I'm going to eat them for lunch too, so thank you so much. Looking at 1 Corinthians again, picking up in chapter 14, Paul's been addressing the church in Corinth, talking about their abuse of the spiritual gifts, and in particular, the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul has been teaching them about the proper place of the gifts, the gifts of tongues and prophecy. And just as a reminder, spiritual gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, which empower them to serve the body of Christ, the church. Spiritual gifts are the expressions of the Holy Spirit given to us Every believer is gifted. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. When you receive the gift of salvation, it comes with a lot of add-on gifts. So make sure you're seeking God and desiring His fire. We talked about the gift of prophecy and that the gift of prophecy is very simply delivering a message from God that is specific and specialized towards God's work, either in the moment or in the days to come. It can be delivered during preaching. It can also be delivered during teaching and even in one-on-one or prayer group situations, the gift of prophecy. And it builds up and it edifies the entire church. The gift of prophecy has its proper place in the assembly of the believers. The gift of tongues is very simply a language that is given by God that is unknown to the speaker. And the language can either be a human language or a heavenly language. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men or angels. And Paul says that both of these gifts are good in their proper place. Use prophecy when you gather together and use tongues in private devotion and prayer unless there is an interpreter there that can interpret the tongue so that the entire church can be built up, or edified. Paul's been challenging the church to let everything they do be with the focus of love towards one another, loving each other and building each other up. The goal is to build up the church, not to promote self. I remember as a kid, we would go to the beach every year, and I and I hope we can go to the beach this year. We're all praying and hoping that this virus is going to be curbed so that we can go to the beach. We would go every year as a kid. I love to build sandcastles, and I would try to build a big sandcastle every year, and I love to build my sandcastle. My brother loved to tear it down. 
And so my mom and dad have got some great family old videos. Anybody remember the old videos where you actually had to have a, a camcorder? You had to bring a tape and a camcorder, and it was big and it was bulky. We have it on tape. I would build up my sandcastle, and I would be so proud, and then my brother would just come in and knock it down and laugh at me. And I would be crying, why would you do that? It's my castle. Yeah, we were going to knock it down. I knew it wouldn't last, but I wanted to knock it down because it was my sandcastle. We need to build one another up and strengthen each other, not tear each other down, and not be looking for opportunities to tear one another down. We're only as strong, the church is only as strong as its weakest member. And listen, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate today in the church. We need to speak the inspired and specific word of God at the right time and in the right place. We need the fire of God to sweep through our nation again. We need revival. We need the authentic moving of the Holy Spirit in the church right now. And we need it today. What we don't need is a chaotic and crazy meeting where everyone is babbling out in nonsense and people are trying to outperform one another. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. They weren't building each other up. They were promoting themselves. And that's what Paul is specifically addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said this, once you experience the true fire of God, you'll never again be satisfied with the smoke. When you truly experience the fire, you'll never be satisfied with the smoke. We need to desire the fire of God. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 through 40. It says this, Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adults in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to these people by people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It follows that speaking in other languages or tongues is intended as a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you all are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and is judged by all, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming that God is really among you. What then is the conclusion, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. If any person speaks in another language, there should be only two, or at the most three, each speaking in turn, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. Remember, the purpose is, is teaching and edification and encouragement. And the prophet's spirit are under the control of the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says. And if, we want, if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, 
for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. What is he saying there? Wow. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. Did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or spiritual, they should recognize that I write what I write to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything must be done decently and in order. So remember, both gifts, prophecy and tongues, are good. They are both unique and they both should be for the purpose of building up other people. So point number one this morning is be mature. He says there in verse 20, be mature. He says, grow up. Don't be so selfish and childish. The Corinthians, in fact, their, their infatuation with the gift of tongues and their misuse of that was an example of immaturity and their infancy in their faith. The gift wasn't childish the way that they were using it was. The gift wasn't wrong, but their use of the gift was wrong. Maturity means that you know the time and the place for things. As you grow up, you learn when it's a good time to use humor and when it isn't a good time to use humor. When you can bring up a certain subject and when you shouldn't. When you're at a funeral, it's not it's not it's not polite to crack jokes at a funeral. That's not why we're there. We're there to mourn and we're there to grieve. There are certain issues you just don't discuss in public. Children don't know this. We all know that children are honest to a fault. I remember a story uh, when we were traveling as a family to West Virginia to visit Laura's parents. We stopped at a gas station in West Virginia, and Micah was really young, and Micah had just lost a tooth. Micah just learned about the tooth fairy. And so, you know, our, the tooth fairy at our house is very generous uh, against my wishes. I've told her several times, you need to rein it in, tooth fairy. All right, we're on a budget, but she's a very generous tooth fairy. And so Micah had lost a tooth put it under his pillow, and he got $5. Now, that is a generous tooth fairy. That's why our kids don't brush their teeth, because they want more money. They like, no, I'm just kidding. We, they do brush their teeth sometimes. But Micah had just lost the tooth, and he had just received $5. And so he's just learning about this tooth fairy thing. He thinks it applies to everyone. Well, we go into a gas station, and the gas station attendant was a very nice lady, tall lady. And she, she said, hi, how are you? And she gave a big smile, and she was missing one of her front teeth. And Micah is standing there at the counter, and he goes, whoa, how much money did the tooth fairy give you for losing that one? And we're like, Micah, that, stop, that you don't, he didn't know, he didn't know. He thought that, you know, it was just, it was cool. And, you know, we had to tell him afterwards, listen, buddy, you don't say that to strangers. And, and it's not cool when grown-ups are missing their teeth like it is when kids miss their teeth. He didn't know why, because he was a child. He was innocent. He was pure. And we all know kids say the darndest Thing. So don't tell something around a child that you don't want repeated. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says it's okay to be childish when it comes to evil. It's okay to be infant-like when it comes to evil, meaning that you should be pure and innocent. But when it comes to your behavior, when it comes to your speech, you need to be adults. And when it comes to your thinking especially, you need to be adults. Knowing that there's a time and a place for everything. When it comes to the church and using your gifts, you have to grow up. Now, in verses 21 and 22 through 25, we have a very highly uh, debated passage of Scripture that has many interpretations, but I'm going to lay it out very simply. You see in verse 21 that Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 28. Paul quotes Isaiah 28, and what he says there, he, he's saying, remember Israel. Remember that they refused to listen 
to the prophet of God who was speaking to them in their native tongue. So what did God do? God sent the Assyrians to invade them who spoke a foreign language that Israel did not understand. And even though they had been invaded by another nation, even though God had warned them time and time again, in their language and in another language, they did not turn from evil and turn back to God. So to Israel, the foreign uninterpreted tongue was intended as a sign of judgment. And they didn't even see it coming. The point there is that you can get so blinded and wrapped up in your sin that you don't even see see the consequences coming. You have an ignorant attitude that says it will never affect me. It will never catch up to me. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. I will be fine. But everyone knows that sin has consequences. And so Paul is showing that the the use of tongues to Israel was a sign of judgment that was coming to them. If there's no one there to interpret the tongue, then everyone will think you're crazy. So Paul says when, when, when tongues are a sign to the unbeliever, they're a sign to the unbeliever. In other words, they really get the attention of non-believers. Non-believers come into the church meeting and they say, what the heck is going on here? Why are they babbling? Why are they going on? These people are crazy. Paul says, if you talk, in, uh, talk openly and loudly in uninterpreted tongues, everyone's going to think that you're nuts. I remember when I first interviewed as the pastor, I came from a tongue-talking Pentecostal church. And one of the people said, you know, if you just stand up there, Pastor Dave, and start speaking in tongues, everybody's going to leave the church and get freaked out. And I said, you know, you're probably absolutely right, but I would never do that because that would be out of order. And that would be against the way the Holy Spirit designed the gifts. If there's no interpreter and people are going on loudly and publicly in tongues, we all think they're crazy. The very same thing happened in Acts chapter 2 when the other people from other languages heard the church in the, upper ro- in the upper room speaking in other tongues and they were marveling. It was a sign to them. But what did they say? These people must be drunk because they're all talking out of their mind. And so Peter had to step up and preach a sermon in a language and it was a prophetic sermon. He had to preach it in a language that they understood. And then the result of that was 3,000 people got saved. So when the gifts are used in the proper way, they draw people to Christ and people get saved. Use them in the proper way. Speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in a way that people can understand. Only use tongues if there's an interpreter there to interpret the language so that others can hear and glorify God. Then there are some times when God himself may be the interpreter or the speaker may be given the interpretation. Paul says, seek that, use that properly and be wise in how you use it. The problem this church had was that everyone was babbling on in that gift just to bring attention to themselves and prove that they were more spiritual than everyone else. And I want you to hear me. Having a certain spiritual gift does not make you more saved than anyone else. It doesn't make you more redeemed than anyone else. It doesn't make you an elite Christian. All it means is that you've been given a specific gift. Use it in its proper way and form and fashion. Now, in verses 24 through 25, Paul lays out a beautiful picture of what happens when the Holy Spirit is truly speaking a prophetic word or an inspiring word and is flowing in the church. What happens? First thing we see, people are convicted of their sin. Anybody who's not talking about sin is not in partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin. He's like a spiritual surgeon that searches our hearts and our minds to deliver us from sin so that we can be free. People realize 
Under the inspiration, when there's inspired speaking or preaching or teaching going on, a prophetic word is going forth, people realize that they're, that they're a sinner and that they've done something wrong. They realize that they've sinned. It's the first step in conversion. And when people are using the gift of prophecy correctly and speaking for the edification and encouragement and comfort of the church, what happens? It happens here all the time. It's happened to people as they've been at home. They say, wow, God is speaking right to me. That's what the Holy Spirit does through that gift. The second thing it does is it brings people under judgment. We realize, oh man, I've sinned. There's going to have to be a, there's going to have to be a penalty for that. There's going to have to be a payment for that sin. We realize that we need the grace and the mercy of God. We're going to have to answer for what we've done. Every wrong that we've ever committed, we're going to have to answer for it. And that's what conviction does. And, and there's a price. And I love that old saying that if you're going to, if you're going to play, you're, eventually you're going to pay. If you're, going to pay, if you're going to play around, eventually you're going to pay. Sin is good for a season, but the wages of sin is death. It's going to find you and catch up to you. It affects everyone under the earth. It brings people under that realization. The third thing it does is it shows the true condition of the heart. I say it all the time. The worst lies that we often tell are the lies that we tell ourselves. Oftentimes, the last thing we want to deal with in our lives is our own secrets. The last thing we really want to look at is our own hearts. We try to hide from those things. The presence of God has a way of bringing those things out and bringing those things out of the dark into the light. Why? Because once it's revealed, then you can be healed. Once it's revealed, then you can be restored. Once it's been revealed, then you can find healing and forgiveness. But the first thing that has to happen is it has to come up. That's what the presence of God does. That's what prophetic speaking and teaching does. It's like there's a beam of light shining down right into your own soul. You feel like you're the only person in the room, like you're the only person hearing the message, that it was prepared just for you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a miracle because that can happen to thousands upon thousands of people at the same exact time. God can take one word meant for many and he can make it individually fit the specific needs and issues of the individual member hearing it. That's the prophetic word at work. It's a miracle. It's a miraculous gift. God brings those things to light so that he can remove them and heal you. That's why he reveals it. He reveals it so that he can heal it. Little rhyming action going on this morning so you can remember. And the last thing, most importantly, that thing that we see here in verse 25, what happens is it, the prophetic inspired speaking message of God, the word of God, when it's truly delivered in the right time, in the right way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it brings us to our knees before God in worship. Sometimes physically bringing us to our knees. Other times it's a condition of our heart where we truly bow our heart. And listen, I want to tell you, if we have not encountered the true presence of God, then we have all wasted our time. This is not a social club. It's not a social gathering, obviously now because of social distancing. But even beyond that, this isn't just some empty religion. It's not just some box that we check. We come and we listen and we worship and we pray and we study and we preach so that we can encounter the living God. So that we can have an encounter with God that changes our lives and changes the environment and changes the atmosphere. This is the true intended result of the church. All of us falling on our knees in worship before a holy God. It's not about the performance. It's not about the production. It's not about anything else. 
but touching the heart of Almighty God. You know that every time I encounter the true presence of God, I'm not worried about what the government's doing. Come on, somebody. I'm not worried about what socially is going on. I'm not worried about the economic situation. I'm not pointing the fingers at him or her. I'm not blaming anybody. You know what I do when I encounter the true presence of God? All I can say is, Lord, I'm so unworthy of your love. I'm so unworthy. Lord, please restore me and forgive me. Lord, I'm nothing without you. There is a holy humility that follows the presence of God. That's why Paul is so upset because the church was taking what God intended to be used to bring people to Him and to draw people to Him and they were using it and abusing it to promote themselves. God forbid that any of us ever use our gifts or our platform or our Sunday school class or our teaching or our Facebook page or anything to promote ourselves instead of bringing glory to God. What should result in the church is humility and harmony. Anything less than true humility and harmony. We have done ourselves, we've done the world, and we've done the Holy Spirit Himself a true disservice if we fall short of this goal. My prayer for you this morning in your home, right there in your living room, or in your bedroom, or wherever you're watching, I pray that you will fall on your knees and worship Almighty God. That's what happens. God convicts us, He reveals our hearts. And then he brings us to that place of repentance so that times of healing and refreshing can come from the Lord. That's what Acts chapter 3 says. Repent of your sins. Why? So that, why is God pointing it out? So that times of healing and refreshing can come from the Lord. Man, there's nothing so refreshing as realizing your sins are truly forgiven. That's what the Holy Spirit does through the gift of prophecy. Now, moving on, verses 26 through the end, point number two, do everything to build each other up. Point number one, be mature. Point number two, do everything to build each other up. Now, it's important to note that in, this, in the first century, the church was meeting in smaller groups. They were, they were meeting in homes. There, they, there was no set pastor at that time. Those were appointed later from within the congregations. So they were meeting in smaller groups. Everybody came to the meeting with the intention of bringing a message or a song to share. They, the meetings were very informal. And so the problem was, is they were so disorganized and chaotic, they were being very unproductive. And some people were, were, were trying, trying to show that they were spiritually superior and a lot of times, I think we think that winging it is, is showing superiority or relying on the Holy Spirit, but failing to prepare oftentimes is just lazy. We shouldn't be just throwing things together at the last minute. That's not ideal. Yes, God can make something good out of it, but the same God that moves during the presentation can also move during the preparation. And so Paul is addressing this. They were all coming to bring something, but they were trying to outdo one another. And so Paul is laying some, some housekeeping rules for their meetings. He says if there is a tongue, then there must be an interpretation. If there's no interpreter, then no one should speak in tongues. If there is an interpreter, only two or three at the most. Don't allow more than that. It's a horrible situation anytime you see where people want to just speak to hear themselves talk. And we've been in these situations. We see that today. Anytime everyone only wants to speak, and nobody truly wants to listen, it's a terrible situation. They were trying to outdo each other, and that's not the point. It isn't a competition. We're there to complement the Holy Spirit's work and accompany the Holy Spirit's 
work. In, in group sharing time, you always see people in your Sunday school class and every, everywhere else, they're dominating the conversation. Anytime the teacher puts it out there for a question, there's always certain people who dominate the discussion, and it drives our Sunday school teachers nuts. Listen, some people just love to hear the sound of their own voice. We can't be like that when we come to church. If we are truly speaking and prophesying, he says the same thing to prophets. So only two or three tongues if there's an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, keep your mouth shut and pray to yourself. Sorry to put it out there bluntly. That's what Paul says. Same thing with a prophetic word. He says, let, let, let a couple speak. A couple should speak and the other should evaluate what he is saying. Others should be silent and weigh in on what the speaker is saying to test it and discern it, to see if what is said rings true with the Spirit. And keep in mind, they also did not have the written Word of God like we do today. So we test every word by God's written Word. We test every spoken word by the written word. And you should still do this with every sermon and every teaching that you hear. You should go back and reread the scripture. You should test it. You should test the things that I'm telling you right now according to the word of God. And if something stands out, something doesn't sit right, then get clarification. But this is not a spirituality contest. That's not what it's about. And if God is really speaking, there won't be any competition and there won't be any contradiction in the prophetic words or the inspired words that are given. They will all flow perfectly in line with what the Holy Spirit says. He also says in verse 32 that the person speaking is clearly in charge of their body and of their spirit while they are speaking. Sometimes people will shout and shake and stammer and stutter and they'll do all these crazy things and say, oh, I just can't help it. The Holy Spirit's on me. Paul says right here in verse 32, the spirit of the prophet, the spirit of the speaker is subject to the prophet. It's subject to the speaker. And it shouldn't be showy because it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about uh, drawing attention to ourselves. My father-in-law, Don Webb, pastored for over 40 years. And he used to have a guy in his congregation that at the same point in almost every service, he would stand up and loudly bang on the pews and shout, really harsh, you know, condescending words, and he would say, thus saith the Lord. And it was really disturbing the service and, and disturbing the people in the service. And, 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 and he, and being the loving shepherd and pastor that he was, he would have to go, he pulled this man aside and said, listen, brother, 1 Corinthians 14.32 says that the spirit of the speaker is subject to the speaker. So you can't tell me that you have no control over it. The Bible says that you do. If you can't speak for the building up and for the edifying of the entire church, then you should stay seated and stay silent. That's what a good pastor does. My own father did it several times in the church where people just get a little out of control. And they just get to all the, you know, they get the liver quiver. and they uh, Listen, the Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit is so, so gentle. It's not supposed to be showy or elaborate. It's supposed to bring glory to God. It's all about edification, building up the church, and encouragement. Praise God that that church that my father-in-law pastors, it's, going to, it's gone to three services, and he's still there, Pastor Emeritus. It has great new leadership, and, the, and God is doing great things now through the current pastor and the current staff because of that good guidance from their leader. We have to understand, Satan loves to sabotage these spiritual gifts. Satan loves to sabotage every service. He loves to do that. We see it so often. We need to desire the authentic and mature demonstration of the Spirit. Now, for the most controversial part of the entire passage, verse 34, women should keep silent in church. Wow, I'm, 
I got Cheryl and my wife looking at me real funny right now, so I got to be real careful. Women should keep silent in the church. But listen, we need to go back to context here, and, and that's where the context and the specific situation comes into play. I want you to hear me clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, does not mean that women are forbidden from positions of leadership in the church. And it does not mean that they are completely forbidden from singing or speaking or prophesying during the service. Remember uh, chapter 11, verse 5, Paul, Paul already said that women would be praying and prophesying. Again, it comes back to the timing when they speak. That's the huge factor. And the culture is a huge factor. First thing you should know about the culture, the men and the women didn't even sit together. In fact, in the first century, uh, there was a specific, in the Jewish synagogue, there was a certain place where the woman couldn't even go any further than that. So the men and women are separated during the church services. They sit in different parts. You still see this in some fundamental churches in the U.S. and overseas. During the first century in Corinth and most places in Greece, uh, in Rome, women were not permitted to even speak in public meetings. So what was happening here is that the women were interrupting the, the speaking part of the service. They were interrupting the teaching. They were interrupting the sermon or the word that was coming forth. And they were also talking to their husbands who were in a different part. And it was being very disruptive. They were talking amongst themselves and talking about the teaching while the person was trying to speak. So Paul's addressing the issue. And what he's saying here is don't, don't be disruptive. Don't be disruptive during this part. Be silent during this part and wait for the proper time. And, and everything that we do should be, all of us should be submitted to the Holy Spirit and to ourselves. Wait until you get home to discuss the message with your husband. Wait till after the service is over to discuss it and talk about it and dig deeper. Don't do it in the middle of the, of the word when it's coming forth. Don't interrupt the Holy Spirit and disrupt the Holy Spirit's Work. Now, the good news is, is you're at home today watching, so you can talk away. I don't know whether you're talking or eating your breakfast or brushing your teeth. You could be sitting on your couch in your, in your underwear. I don't know. And when you come back to church, please put some clothes on. But listen, when we do get back together, we need to be considerate. When we do come back into this corporate gathering, and i got to touch on a few of these things real quick, because we don't want to interrupt the Holy Spirit's work during the service. So listen, use the nursery Use children's church. We have background checked, trained people to watch the kids. Use it. Take advantage of that so that we don't just dis dis distract people. Send your kids there. Now, listen, I love your kids. Don't get me wrong. We love children. We love babies. I understand it's your right to keep them in the service. If you want to do that, that's fine. But realize that we're all trying to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can move. Don't be on your phone during the service unless you're really taking notes and using the Bible app. If you use your phone for the Bible, fine. But, I mean, I see people, it's really funny how, how many Facebook posts and Twitter posts and Instagram posts, are they're posted right during the sermon. I get text messages from some people, some members right during the sermon. Don't, don't let that distract you. Listen to me. Go to the bathroom before the service starts. And it's only an hour long, right? So hold it, okay? Listen, don't have a full-blown conversation with the person next to you or behind you or in front of you or in the next aisle during the middle of the service. Why? Because the, we don't want the Holy Spirit's work to be interrupted. We're not trying to be mean or ugly or, or restrict anybody's freedom. The most important time, we, we used to have a person that every day, right at the invitation, every Sunday, they would get up at the front and they'd walk all the way across and go down the hall. And it, it interrupted it. It just disrupted 
of the service. We don't want to do that. Now, if Gary was here, he'd tell me to stop meddling, so I'm going to move on. But I think the truth of it is that sometimes, if we're honest, we're really just trying to distract ourselves. We're really, we don't want to let the Holy Spirit move in those deep places of our heart. And so we create distractions. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit wants to transform your life. Let Him move. And let's do everything that we can when we come together to make sure that His time is not interrupted. And listen, don't, if you've got to go to the bathroom real bad, then go. Okay, I'm not saying not to go. But listen, be selective. Be wise. Think about building others up and not drawing attention to yourself. Pay attention, tune in, and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Point number three, do everything in an orderly way. Verse 40 closes this whole section that started in chapter 11. God loves to bring order out of chaos. He's not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. God is not the God of chaos. He brings life and order out of chaos. This is what God does. God takes chaos and turns it into creation. God takes chaos and he turns it into creation. That's what he does. That's what he did at creation, and that's what he wants to do in your life. You need, we need to let the Holy Spirit direct our lives and direct our church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to close with this story. In 2006, a judge in New York allowed a man named, allowed a man named Jose Luis Espinal to legally change his name to Jesus Christ. He allowed this man to legally change his name from Jose to Jesus Christ. Now, following the decision, Jose said that he was happy and grateful that the judge approved the change. He also said that he was moved to seek the name change about a year prior to the decision because he realized, this is what Jose said, I am the person that is this name. No way, Jose. There's only one Jesus Christ, and he's the Lord of all the earth. But how, how dare that guy, how prideful and arrogant to change his name legally to Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us, we're a lot like Jose. We're a little more subtle. We wouldn't legally change our name to Jesus Christ, but we need to understand that anytime we reclaim the management of our lives, or the management of God's church, we take the title of Lord from Jesus. Anytime we try to retake control of our life or reclaim control of God's church, we are taking the title of Lord from Jesus. There's only one Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you change your name to. It doesn't matter what you try to control or manipulate. Jesus is on the throne. He's still in control. And the Holy Spirit needs to be the captain of the ship when it comes to the church. So let's not try to override Him. Let's let Him deal in our lives. Let's, in him, let's let Him direct our church and direct our life. Let's let Him have complete and total control and say, Lord, if you want to use me in this way, if you want to give me the gift of tongues, if you want to give me the gift of prophecy or healing or miracles or wisdom or knowledge or any of those gifts, Lord, I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. Lord, I, I see where you're convicting me and challenging me and I submit and surrender to your leadership. I'm not going to keep acting out. I'm not going to keep avoiding you and ignoring you. I'm not going to take your title away from you. You are Lord. I am not. You're the master. You're the maker. We're the creation. You're the creator. Let's give him complete and total control of every area in our lives. And what you will see is that God will take your chaos and turn it into creation. 
thank you for joining us today on the Antioch Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to connect with Antioch Baptist Church, please visit us on Facebook and search Antioch Baptist Church VA. God bless.